this advertising. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. A story, but more than entertainment. This is a daily guide, step-by-step, as we leave the city of destruction and make our way to the celestial city. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to go to nationalprayerchapel.com. We're streaming live there. Psalm 23 is generally read at funerals. But I want to tell you, it may be comforting at a funeral, but It is not really about the dead. It's about the living. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd. That's a confession of faith. It's a confession of faith from one who views himself as a sheep, as a lamb, as one who needs to be guided to a place where there is adequate food and water to the necessities of life. And the confession is, I shall not be in want He makes me lie down in green pastures. I was raised in cattle country and sheep country. I was born in Denver, Colorado. And I know that sheep, when put in a pasture, if they're hungry, will eat the grass all the way down, all the way down to the earth. And then if they're still hungry, they'll pull the grass up by the roots and eat the last remaining part, they will destroy a green pasture. So if he makes us lie down in green pastures, it means we're full. We've had all that we need, and and now we're lying down, and there's still an abundance left for us. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep are afraid of moving water. And so the shepherd will come to a stream, and he'll throw rocks in, and he'll dam up the current so that the sheep without fear can come and refresh themselves in a still and quiet part of the water. He restores my soul, or he returns, he returns me to my rightful place. 
which is as a servant of the Most High God. He rescues me out of the hand of the bear and the lion that I could be restored to my shepherd. And then comes this passage that we're going to deal with today in the reading of Pilgrim's Progress. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now for sheep, a valley of the shadow of death is a gorge that they must transit through on their way to new pasture land. It's a place where the shepherd cannot carefully watch over every part of his flock, a place where wolves or lions or other wild beasts lie in wait to take the life of one of the sheep. He's saying, even though I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Of course, the rod is for discipline, for redirecting. The staff with the crook on it is to be used when I fall off the path into some kind of pit. The staff, he reaches down hooks around me, and pulls me up out of it. So one is to discipline and one is to rescue. So the writer, David, who was a shepherd, is saying that he wants God's rod of correction and he needs God's staff of rescue. You remember when King David went with his sin with Bathsheba. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet, told him a parable, got David's response, and then Nathan said, you are the man. Well, that was both the rod of God's judgment, but it was also the staff that rescued him from that miry bog that he was about to sink in. And then comes this last wonderful proclamation. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, who are my enemies? Well, the devil is certainly my enemy. Spiritual powers, demonic forces. But I want to suggest to you that my sin is also my enemy. The weakness of my character. The deception of my heart. He's saying, the Lord is going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. In other words, you will have victory over your enemies, and you will sit at the table, and they will have no part in that table. It also says something else to me. When I was a kid, just a young boy, we gathered every evening around our family table for dinner. We didn't call it dinner. We were country people. We called it supper. We would gather around the table for our supper. Dad would bow his head. He would say a prayer of blessing on the food. And then we enjoyed a safe place to feast, to have our, to have our dinner. Well, I knew 
that I always sat at the same place at the table. How did I know that? Because it was my place. My brothers had their place. Mom and dad had their places. And we always sat in the same places because that was our place. Well, David is saying, I know where my place is. My place is with my feet under the table of God in the presence of mine enemies. And I eat in safety. My enemies cannot touch me. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You anointed with oil for a king. You anointed with oil for a prophet. For a position of responsibility before God. He's saying that from my place at the table, God has appointed me a place where I can minister. Do you know where your place is at the table of God? And has he anointed you in ministry? Your ministry may be at the Pentagon. It may be at the IRS. It may be in a corporation. It may be at home taking care of children. Whatever your place is assigned to you by God, he will feed you there. And he will make your cup overflow. The oil being spoken of here is the oil of joy. Psalm 45, 7. Psalm 21, 11. Psalm 132, 18. All refer to this oil as the oil of joy that overflows. Well, why oil of joy? Because I'm content in my place. I have a place. I can't express to you how vital it is for your own well-being that you know what your place is at the table of God. That you know he's opened that place for you. And you know you're loved and cared for by him. And he says this Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word dwell, literally in the Hebrew, it means sit down. I will sit down in the house of the Lord forever. As you can probably tell, Psalm 23 is one of my favorite psalms because it clearly outlines what my relationship is with the Lord God of heaven. And it tells me what I can expect from him. I don't know about you, but for me, it's very important that I know what to expect. I don't like to be surprised with crisis. I'd like to know what to expect and how to prepare for it. Well, the Lord has said you can expect that love and peace and joy will follow you all the days of your life, regardless of what your circumstances are. You can trust him in this valley of the shadow of death. So let's read this chapter. We're reading from The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick, L-O-V-I-K, Crossway Publishing. 
And by the way, I just went on the Internet and ordered two more copies for friends. Uh, the regular price on this, let me see if I can find it. The regular price is uh, twenty four ninety nine. I just found two copies, brand new copies, for $11 a piece. So you're welcome to get a copy and, and read along with me as I share this story with you. I'm going to hold up to the camera the painting that is in this book. It's an original painting. I want to hold up this so that you can see a picture of Christian in his armor as he walks through and makes his way through the dark valley of the shadow of death on the video feed to uh, nationalprayerchapel.com. And you you were able to see that. The, the painting and the artwork in this book is just phenomenal. Let's begin on page 95. You remember from last time we were together, as Christian was making his way out of the Valley of Humiliation, and by the way, always after you finish the Valley of Humiliation, you go into the Valley of the Shadow of Death. That's just how it is. And I want to also add, I've been walking in the Valley of the Shadow of Death for almost two full years now, when my wife died in May, a year and a half ago, it'll be two years this May, I was deep in the valley of the shadow of death. I had been there for the six months prior as she was extremely ill. She was a partner in ministry with me, as well as my wife, often doing the radio broadcasts together. I entered into the valley of the shadow of death, and true confession, I'm now beginning to exit the valley of the shadow of death, but there are still some days when I don't see color. Everything is just gray. Everything is dark, and the battle is on. But as I am successfully making my way through that valley of the shadow of death, my heart has rejoiced continually through this, and my heart has feared no evil, even though it has been a desperate, hard, painful time of walking. But I have walked not with my head and my hands down, but with my hands lifted up to Jesus and my head, my face lifted up to Jesus knowing that he would carry me through safely. So Christian is just entering this valley of the shadow of death, and men have come running toward him, saying, flee, don't go there. Death spreads its wings over the, over the valley. Discouraging clouds of confusion hang over it. There is unutterable misery there. There are irons and afflictions and howlings and yellings and dragons and pits, hobgoblins. There's everything there that would destroy you. Don't go there. And then we pick up Pilgrim's Progress. Then Christian said, all these tears aside, 
Nothing that you've said so far convinces me that this is anything but the way to the celestial city. Have your own way, but we will not choose it as ours. And so they parted, and Christian went on his way with his sword in his hand, fearing he might be assaulted. Then I saw in my dream that for the entire length of the valley, there was a deep ditch on the right side. It's into this ditch that the blind have been leading the blind since the beginning of time through the destruction of both blind leaders and their followers. My dad used to say to me, Ray, there's a, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. So stay right in the middle of the road and you won't fall in either of those ditches. Well, John Bunyan is now going to describe for us the ditch on one side, which is false doctrine, and then on the other side, a quagmire where a man could not find solid footing if he falls in. And this is moral failure. So the ditch on one side is false doctrine. The ditch on the other side is moral failure, both of which will shipwreck a man and take his life. This issue of false doctrine, let me simplify it for you. I find that many who call themselves Christians are utterly ignorant, utterly illiterate of what the Scriptures say. They have never spent time really establishing for themselves the doctrines of Scripture, not having read the Word, simply listening to a preacher talk about it, often in a church that the sermon is about becoming all you can be and about strategies for success and prosperity, not the real, not the real doctrines of Scripture. And so I find that there are basically two false doctrines. Let me try to identify both of these, for certainly they are the ditch on one side of the road. On, on one side, you have this ditch with the doctrine that says, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But I can't help myself. I continually sin against God. And so there are many sins in this person's life that have not ever been repented of. You recognize that repent means not to say just that I'm sorry. It means to turn away from that sin and no longer walk in it. And so the, the first false doctrine I'd like to speak about briefly is this teaching that is so common in the modern church. And it has been for the past thousand years. The teaching coming essentially out of Gnosticism that says that a man can be saved even as he continues to walk in his sin. Now, I could show you many passages of Scripture that would totally destroy that argument. It's an absolute false doctrine. This false doctrine teaches that salvation is granted and yet can never be lost. 
I'm sure as we read through this book of Pilgrim's Progress, you're going to increasingly see that, in fact, salvation can be lost. And I also want to remind you that that John Bunyan was a Reformed Baptist, a far cry from the modern church's Baptist teaching. Reformed theology today has, for the most part, bought into the lie of cheap grace. This is the doctrine that will, in fact, take you into a ditch, and you will not make the celestial city. There's another false doctrine that we also need to speak about. This is the doctrine that says, I'm saved by grace, all of my sins are forgiven, and after I am forgiven, then I must journey the rest of my life struggling with all of my might against the sin that's in my life. And I have a list of do's and don'ts that I must keep. Don't do this, don't do that, don't go here, don't say that. A whole list of of rules and regulations. We call this legalism. The church I grew up in, in fact, was a very legalistic church. They said, your sins are forgiven, but now you have to get in a boat, and one oar is works, and the other oar is grace. And you have to work these oars of grace and works together in order to be saved. That's called legalism. And legalism will finally cause you to turn absolutely hard in your heart or as it did with me to cast away the whole deal and start all over and read the scriptures and say there must be a different path. This path doesn't work. If any of you have tried in your own power and your own strength to overcome sin, you know that my testimony is true and correct that man cannot overcome sin by his own strength, that it has to be a work of grace done in a man's heart, a circumcision done by Jesus Christ, by the power of the blood, that righteousness does not come from the law. Righteousness comes as a free gift by the blood of Jesus Christ. And a man is utterly transformed by this grace. He is changed into the likeness of Jesus. And then the scriptures warn us, now don't go back and rebuild what the blood of Jesus broke down and destroyed. So on one side, we have this ditch of false doctrine And John Bunyan says, it is into this ditch that the blind have been leading the blind since the beginning of time to the destruction of both blind leaders and their followers. Now he says, I saw also on the left side of the valley a very dangerous quagmire in which not even a good man can find solid footing or bottom if he falls in. This is the bog King David fell into and no doubt would have been smothered had he 
had not he who is able pulled him out. And of course, Bunyan is referring here to his wickedness with Bathsheba and the murdering of Uriah the Hittite. Bunyan goes on. The pathway was exceedingly narrow, and good Christian was tested to his limit. For in the dark, when he tried to avoid the ditch on the one hand, he was ready to tip over into the mire on the other. Also, when he sought to escape the mire, unless he was very careful, he would almost fall into the ditch. And so Christian went on, and I heard him sigh bitterly. For besides the dangers mentioned above, the pathway was so dark that often when he lifted up his foot to step forward, he never was sure where his foot would land or what he would step on. In the middle of this valley, I saw in my dream the mouth of hell, and it stood right next to the path. What shall I do now, thought Christian? Abundant flame and smoke spewed from the place with sparks and hideous noises, things that could not be fought with the sword as Apollyon was. Christian put his sword back in his sheath, and he took out another weapon the one called All Prayer. Then I heard Christian cry out, O Lord, I beseech you, deliver my soul. He continued in this way for a long time, but still the flames were reaching toward him. Also he heard tortured and sad voices and the sound of things rushing and scurrying back and forth. And sometimes Christian thought he was going to be torn to pieces or trampled down like mud in the streets. Christian saw these frightful sights and heard the dreadful noises for several miles of his journey. And adding to his troubles, he came to a place where he thought he heard a company of demons coming forward to meet him. Christian stopped to think about how to best meet this new enemy. For a brief moment, he thought about turning back, but then thought that perhaps he was halfway through the valley. He also remembered how he had already vanquished many dangers and that the danger of going back might prove worse than the dangers ahead of him. So he made up his mind. He continued going forward. The demons seemed to be coming nearer and nearer. But when they were almost upon him, Christian cried out with the most powerful voice, I will walk in the strength of the Lord God. I will walk in the strength of the Lord God. So they turned around and went back from where they had come. By this time, I noticed that poor Christian was so confounded that he did not recognize his own voice. And just when he came near the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones stepped up softly behind him 
and whispered many grievous blasphemies to him, which Christian truly thought had come from his own mind. It grieved Christian more than anything that that he had met before to think that he should now blaspheme him whom, whom he loved. Though in truth, Christian had not done that. He wished to stop the wicked thought, but he did not have the dis, the deception. I'm sorry. He did not have the discretion to simply plug his ears to silence the lies that a wicked one spoke to him or to recognize their source. After Christian had traveled in this disturbing condition for some time, he thought he heard the voice of a man going before him saying, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Then Christian was glad, and for good reasons. For one, Christian believed that someone who feared God was in the valley with him. Secondly, he perceived that God was with this person up ahead, even though it was dark and dismal. Christian reasoned that if God was with this fellow traveler, then he was also with him, even though the evil in this place prevented his perception of it. And thirdly, Christian hoped that he might catch up with the person ahead and have a companion on his journey. So as he went forward, and called out to the pilgrim ahead of him. But this fellow traveler did not know what to answer, since he thought he was alone. And finally, the sun came up on a new day, and Christian rejoiced and said he has turned the shadow of death into mourning. I know the Lord will soon turn the shadow of death into mourning for me. And I rejoice as I go, even yet in the darkness, in the shadow of the valley of death, saying, I will fear no evil. But I will tell you that what he has experienced has happened to me on more than one occasion when suddenly thoughts sweep into my mind that I am absolutely grieved by. I've now recognized that they are not my thoughts. They are thoughts that are being sent from the enemy. And I've learned to simply close my ears, to stop my ears to these wicked lies that Satan would speak. Things like, God doesn't love you. He's left you. Your situation is hopeless. Nothing will work. He even lied to me about coming to this broadcast and said, people don't want to hear a straight, unvarnished message about sin and salvation. They, they won't even listen. Well, I know all of these are just lies of the devil to discourage my heart. Remember, I read to you that the clouds of discouragement always hover over the valley of the shadow of death. That's why faith is so vital. Even in the midst of the shadow of the valley of, of death, by faith, I take hold of the word of God, and I walk by that faith, and I don't turn in accusation against God. I don't turn in bitterness. 
I don't rail against the valley that God has brought me into. This is the valley through which, for me, the path lies to go to the celestial city. And so I'm on my way. I'm on a journey. I was thinking about this and meditating about this in the early hours of this morning. I want to read some notes that I have handwritten into this book because I underline and I write personal notes in this book because Pilgrim's Progress is ministering to me perhaps as much or more than it is to you. So I want to share some of my thoughts. I write, Lord, Lord Jesus, I'm not making progress toward what many would consider to be most important. I'm not creating a place for myself in the world. I'm not advancing in my career. I'm not buying a house. I'm not saving any money for retirement. I said, Lord, I don't even own a car. I'm driving, shall I say, an elderly car loaned to me by dear friends. I'm not going on expensive vacations. So, Lord, what am I doing? And I was very clear about what I'm doing. I am using every ounce of my energy and every ounce of my time to walk the narrow but straight path to the celestial city. I'm praying. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm preaching the gospel as he opens those doors of opportunity. And I'm preaching every Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel. I'm teaching those who have hearts and minds that are open to be taught. I'm giving godly counsel to couples and to individuals who are struggling with the demonic powers and have a desire to have the victory and make this journey with me to the celestial city. I'm confronting sin as I do on this radio program. I had dinner last evening with a dear couple that I love very much. They're planning to be married. And as I sat with them at dinner, I began to address issues in their lives that need to be addressed regarding behavior, regarding activities that they are or are not engaged in. I became very direct and very personal. And they were not offended. They were glad. They said, Pastor, I've never considered these issues. I've never considered behaving in that way. I I need to go home and think and pray, and I need to change what I'm doing. And I left dinner rejoicing because they were willing to allow me to teach and counsel and confront sin in their lives. 
all of my time and all of my money are being used for the journey. I'm not in any way trying to make provision for myself in this world. You see, I'm trying to take as many of you with me as I can on this journey. I want to travel from this world to the world that is to come. And I don't have time, I don't have energy to be on the narrow path and to pursue this journey and to be involved in the foolishness of this world. If I try to do that, I'm going to fall off into false doctrine or I'm going to fall off, on the other hand, into some kind of immorality, some kind of sin against the Most High God. And I would be destroyed. And as I thought about this, there was a scripture that came to mind, and I immediately turned to it this morning and prayerfully read through this scripture. I want to read it for you. I'm reading from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 19. Before I do, I need to give you that phone number again. The, the hour is slipping away very rapidly. The number is 877-534-0780. I would love to hear your journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Are you also, like I am, currently walking through that valley of the shadow of death? Is it a place of tears for you as it has been for me? Is it a place of temptation? Temptation to despair of God's love. Temptation to to turn an accusation against God. How have you journeyed through this valley of the shadow of death? And have you come out of the valley of the shadow of death? And are you once more walking without any threat to your life? You're welcome to email me. I would love to hear some of your experience in this journey, and I and I would be happy to come and read some emails on the air from you. And you can send those emails to Pastor Ray at nationalprayerchapel.com and recount your story. Now, my name is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. We're a small congregation that is very consciously on the journey to the celestial city. And I invite you to come and celebrate Easter with us. Uh, you recognize that Easter, the word, is Ishtar in the Greek, and it is a pagan goddess. Uh, Easter is not really what the apostles celebrated. They celebrated Passover. I'm simply inviting you to come on that Sunday because we will proclaim that Christ has risen and we will celebrate who Jesus Christ is through his crucifixion and his resurrection. And if you would like to join together with us, I invite you to go to nationalprayerchapel.com and get the directions. Uh, we meet at St. Margaret's Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, right close to the corner of Prince William Parkway and Route 1. 
It's very easily accessible from Route 95. We have people who will drive from Frederick, Maryland, and Fredericksburg, Virginia. We'll have people who drive from Prince George's County over in Maryland. People come from all over the city because they've heard the radio broadcast. So we invite you to come and join together and celebrate this time when the world is celebrating fertility. And we celebrate not with Easter eggs and bunnies, which are utterly pagan wickedness. We celebrate instead with the precious blood of Jesus, with the broken body of Jesus, and the wonderful resurrection of our Lord. So I invite you to come and share with us. Now let's go back to the scripture. This is Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the Lord is saying to me, make the journey your first priority. Now, for some of you, the journey lies straight through government employment. For some of you, it's right through a radio station. For some of you, it's accounting. For some of you, it's 
IT. Whatever you are working in, that place is your place of ministry. That's where the straight path has led you. And so as you journey through life, it's not about making a name for yourself. It's not about buying all of the things that the pagans desire to buy. There's nothing wrong with buying a house if the Lord leads you to buy a house and provides the money for you to buy that house. There's nothing wrong with buying a car if the Lord leads you to buy that car and orders your steps. The problem comes when those things become our primary focus and the desire of our heart. When we love to spend our time with the entertainment, when sports dominates our mind, when video games fill hours of every day, when the Internet consumes us. In other words, if you're truly following Jesus, you don't have time for all of the things that the pagans run after. You can't have a love for money and a love for God at the same time. Now, I rejoice today to tell you that a check was due today to pay for April's radio bill. And by the grace of God, I was able to come today and pay for the month of April. Had I not been able to pay for the month of April, they would be playing music now or they would have another radio broadcast on because I wouldn't be here. So as I prayed and I waited on the Lord, I've not been doing fundraising here. I've not been doing fundraising at church. I just come before the Lord. I present the case. And as I've been faithful this month of March in coming before God, he has said, yes, you may have another month of radio. Am I to worry now about May's radio bill? No. No, I'm not to. I'm only concerned about doing what God says to do now, and he will provide all that I need tomorrow. Every day, or shall I say every month, has enough trouble of its own. And so my responsibility is to come this month and to lift up the name of Jesus, to confront you in your sin, and to call you to come out and be separate from the world and from the pagans, and to serve Jesus Christ, and in the process, to love as many people as you can, to lead them into a full fellowship with Jesus Christ. So as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have time or energy to grab for my own security. The devil keeps me busy with his lies in my prayer closet. My heart is kept busy crying out to God for you, that you would be convicted of your sin, that you would deal with those hidden sins of your heart that you've been secretly holding on to and not letting the mighty power of the blood of Jesus wash from your soul. My time is consumed 
in crying out to the Lord for Washington, D.C., that he would not judge us unto destruction, but would judge us unto repentance. And so I don't have time to be worried about buying a house. I don't have time to worry about money. I don't have time or energy to focus on all the things the pagans run after. All of my time is caught up with making certain that I don't sin against the Most High and calling you not to sin against the Most High, calling you to walk in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and to walk clean, to not walk in sin. So my time is consumed with exposing false doctrine and exposing the lust of the flesh and calling you to walk with me in the straight and narrow path, the highway of holiness. So how are you doing on that walk? Are there things hidden in your heart? Do you have hidden sin that you've been secretly engaging in, in the privacy of your house? Have you been stealing? Have you been lying? Have you been cheating? Are you into drugs? Are you into fornication? Are you into adultery? Do you have relationships that are unholy and ungodly? Have you been considering cheating on your wife? Do you have accusations against your husband? Is your heart filled with bitterness? All of these things have to be swept away by the wonderful, powerful blood of Jesus. And it will take you full time to get clean with Jesus. I mean, when was the last time you spent an entire night in prayer? Remember, when you read the New Testament, it's obvious in the Gospels that Jesus often spent the night in prayer. It wasn't a, a once-in-the-lifetime deal. It was a constant. He would regularly spend the night praying and was refreshed in the prayer. So please, may I pray for you. Almighty God, King of all the earth, my Father, I come and ask that your name would be hallowed in the life of every person listening to this radio broadcast, that everything else that is considered so important would be cast aside and that men and women listening to this broadcast would stop their daily flow and take a moment of time with you and begin to ask you to wash them by your precious Son's blood, to make them clean by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I ask for that circumcision of the heart to be done in Washington, D.C. I ask that dishonesty, injustice, I ask that it be cast down in the name of Jesus. I ask that racial warfare would be cast down in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that your name would be lifted up and glorified. I thank you, Lord. I praise your name. I know even now by faith you are doing this work of revival in this city. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. With great joy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.
you blameless before the presence of his glory. 